Moth Sanctuary Productions presents The Outsider, a Penny Dreadful novella, written by Andrew Bate and read by Chloe Gorman. Part 5. Let the world think me dead. Under the black waves, everything felt strange. The creature was swimming fast, pinning me to it with one great arm. The freezing waters grew colder the further we travelled. If the loss of breath didn't take me, the currents from the polar waters would freeze me to death soon enough. I couldn't allow this thing to take me any further, but there was no way I could get clear of it. Then I remembered the letter opener tucked in my pocket. Settling myself so as not to waste breath, I gently removed it with one free hand, careful not to make my captor aware of what I was doing. It swam on as unaffected as ever. The opener nearly slipped from my fingers in the current of the creature's swift pace, and I tightened my fingers around it before bringing it close to my chest. I knew I would only have one attempt to do this, and it would need to be done quickly. I gripped the haft tightly in my palm, so hard that it dug into the flesh. Then, with as swift a motion as I could manage, I drove the point into the creature's neck. It made a kind of muffled cry, and the arm that had been wrapped around me loosened. It was clear I had taken it by surprise. It had never imagined that one of these offerings, that for generations had come so willingly, with suppliance, reverence and even gratitude, could ever be any kind of threat, and its shock was palpable. I brought the blade home into its neck repeatedly, and did not cease stabbing until I was sure that it was dead, or at least as close to dead, so as not to be able to pursue me. With its last feeble movement, it pushed away from me, trying to get some space between us, leaving me free to swim away. I released a small portion of precious breath and let the bubbles show me the direction of the surface. I swam that way, surrounded by immeasurable blackness, and just hoped that I had enough oxygen left to see me through until I emerged. When I eventually did, I gulped air into my burning lungs, momentarily blind to any other thought than taking in as much as I could. When I'd had my fill enough to think, I looked around and saw that we had only gotten a little way beyond the harbour mouth. In the distance on the beach, I could see those assembled dancing against the torchlight and heard their voices singing and cheering on the wind. At this distance, and with them so distracted, I was convinced there was no way they could see me. Either way, it wasn't safe to go back that way, and even less to stay where I was, lest I succumb to the freezing temperatures, or the risk of one of the creature's companions lurking nearby. A memory of a dream came back to me, and I had an idea. It may have been foolish, or in my physical state impossible, but right now it was my only option. Straining with effort from exhausted limbs, I swam towards the coastline. It felt like it took an age to reach it, But eventually I came to a familiar set of rocks and the open mouth of a dark and sinister-looking cave, the same one I'd had visions of flying into during my dream. It was exactly as my mind had shown me, but then I suppose it hadn't been my mind after all, but something else, something I didn't understand, something that wanted me. What would previously have been an abhorrent sight to me was now a merciful haven. 
I dragged my waterlogged body onto the hard stone and rested there for a moment. It took an extreme act of will to remove myself from that spot, but eventually I rose back to my feet, stepped forward and plunged myself into the darkness of the cave. There may have been bats or birds or any other kind of nocturnal animal waiting in there, but I didn't care. Nothing could be more terrible than the monster that had tried to drown me or the men and women who cheered as it dragged me away. The cave echoed with unfriendliness. Water was dripping in a pool somewhere. I placed a hand on the cave wall and fumbled through the gloom, not knowing how deep I would need to go to find what I was looking for. The rough, slick surface of the stone slid under my fingers for a few minutes, before it gave way to a large, hewn gap. The sudden disappearance of the wall nearly made me topple over. I didn't realise just how much I had been leaning on it. I felt through the darkness blindly, until my hand came down on a smooth, flat ledge, and another one beyond it, slightly higher. I'd found the black steps C2 had shown me in my dream, the wrecker stairs that led up through the cliff into the cemetery earth. I climbed them hand over hand as best I could manage, and didn't stop until I felt sure that I was high enough, where no rising tides would reach me, and I had burrowed in deep enough that any visitors wouldn't be able to see me, at least for now. It was a risk, the creature I had seen on my first night had surely used this way to bring itself to and from the surface, and others of its kind might know of its existence too. But there was nothing else I could do. I'd take my chance with the possibility of discovery in here, than the certainty of it outside. Every part of me was exhausted, to the point of oblivion. Now that I was starting to settle myself down, I felt the pain in my neck more acutely felt the bruises from rough hands forming on my arms. Even the salt from the ocean was stinging the wounds on my feet in my waterlogged shoes. My body was wrecked, my mind broken. I huddled my frozen, soaking form together on one of the steps, deep in the heart of the cliff, lonely but for the surrounding bodies of the dead. Tonight I was one of them. I was safer with them than I was with the living. So I would rest like one of them. Even if I slept for an hour, a month or a year, let the world think me dead. A shock of ferocious, ringing thunder woke me, with such a start I almost fell from my perch. The wind was wild in the cave below, and the spray from a wave kissed my skin as it flew the impossibly high distance up the stairway. There should have been no way that the water, not even a drop, could reach this level. Yet as I adjusted my gaze down, I saw another wave crash violently into the already flooded cave. Had I stumbled off the step and rolled to the bottom, I would have been dashed upon the cave walls, or drowned in the frenzied to and fro of the breakers. In between them, the cave was illuminated by daylight that squeezed into the gaps when the tide retreated, though I couldn't tell if it was morning or later. I gathered myself and hurried even further up the staircase, distancing myself from the cave. The labyrinthine trail of the steps coiled up inside the cliff infinitely, and unlike being underwater, the way got darker and more airless as I got closer to the surface. Without the regular breeze flowing in from the cave to supply oxygen, I was running the danger of suffocating. For an endless amount of time I travelled upwards, stopping only when my aching muscles would seize and cramp until eventually I came to a ceiling of dirt that blocked any further progress. I tapped at it with my hand, 
and heard the telltale thud of wood from the hidden door. This was it, the entrance of the false grave. There was the fast, hideous sound of chaos on the other side, but it was muffled and distant. I pushed on the baffle, but it didn't budge. A flash of panic overtook me, as I feared I may be trapped in this claustrophobic tunnel indefinitely, but I pushed it down. Instinct had gotten me this far. It wasn't about to be undone by fear. I knocked on the wood again, and I was reminded that it would be heavy from the layers of earth upon the lid. I planted my feet down and pushed hard with both arms until eventually it shifted. Air poured into the chamber like a mercy, instantly cooling and filling my lungs with fresh life. But the current came so rapidly and with such power that it wrested the trapdoor from my hands and tossed it open as if it were nothing and the gale hit me like a slap in the face. Above me the gulls screeched as if signalling a warning to the rest of their flock to flee. The clouds churned and thunder rolled ceaselessly. There were other sounds too, earth-rumbling explosions that could have been avalanches. Screams. I peeked out of the hole and found myself in the centre of the churchyard, just where I expected to be. There was no one else around me, and thinking it was safe to do so, I cautiously stepped out of the grave. I needed to see what was happening, what fresh horror I had to protect myself against now. Then, the thing that had caused the terrible crashing noise became clear. Most of the town was already in ruins. The harbour and the buildings were felled by waves, and winds that came with preternatural malevolence, ripping them asunder as if they were nothing more than stacked leaves. A great fissure had broken the ground from the sea, across the beach and onwards further inland. It looked as though a great slash had been ripped through the streets. Great shoots of some unknown rock were breaking through the cracks in large stacks that loomed like towers. They were the same colour, maybe the very material from which the statue in the abbey had been made, though now they were natural shapeless forms, reaching up like gargantuan stalagmites. Boats in the bay had been destroyed. Down on the beach, the few townspeople that were left, the singing masses that had been so eager to gift me away to a monster and let me drown, were screaming as a multitude of those same horrible fish-like creatures dragged them into the water, and I could see they were resisting even harder than I had. Hands clawed at the slipping sand that gave no purchase and left long, continuous trails behind them. Women kicked and beat with their fists, but the creatures were unswayed and carried them away effortlessly. Men were thrashing in the water, raging against their slow suffocation. In some places, blood stained the sand. The entire scene was a chaotic, brutal nightmare. A hideous inner part of me couldn't help but be pleased. To my mind, they deserved more. A rustle of lightning overhead forced my attention to the sky. The clouds surged like boiling water, and within them I could make out something moving. There was something, some living thing up there, larger than a mountain, hidden by a storm of its own conjuring. It was solid, it was vapour, seen and not seen in equal measure, a gargantuan creature that simply could not be possible. Thunder rang out, but now I couldn't be sure that it wasn't the roar of this great beast that rode on through the sky. I am the storm, it seemed to say. Eliza Jane said I'd been sent the dreams, but I never stopped to think what that meant. In dreams I floated high above the town and unleashed a torrent upon it. I had seen the world through its eyes, 
C2, the god whose kingdom is the sky and the sea and the farthest reaches of imagination. I dropped to my knees. My jaw slackened in awe and my eyes bulged, staring unblinkingly at such an incomprehensible sight. With a sudden rumble that built to a deafening crack, part of the cliff broke away behind me. Eons of rock and earth cascaded into the sea below, reshaping the cliff as it went. I picked myself back up and half limped, half staggered away from the passage, afraid that the hollowed out ground beneath me would crumble too. I dove into a bush and crouched down low, desperate to keep out of the sight of any of those creatures that might be coming this way. Or worse, the great creature in the sky. Peering out from my hiding spot, I watched as C2 moved through the maniac clouds as if it were floating through water and headed in the direction of the churchyard. I was suddenly afraid that it had noticed my running away and I retreated even further into the bush. Instead, it passed over me and continued on to hover above the abbey. With another great rattle of thunder that never seemed to cease, the ruin and its walls split apart, sending the ancient stone crashing down violently. The assault on the terrible building continued until eventually there was nothing left to destroy. Lightning sheeted the sky in incoherent flashes. The wind whipped the rain in all directions. Screams echoed from afar. Once the abbey had been reduced to nothing, the beast gave one last call. A roar of triumph at this display of its immeasurable power and terrible wrath on this place that had dared to not appease it. So loud that the gale responded, the rain fell heavier, and the creatures in the town raised their voices in an inhuman, guttural chorus. The roar ceased, the elements waned, the wind fell to a calmer speed, and the rain fell more gently. The clouds ceased churning, and a strange hush fell over the scene. Though I couldn't be certain, it appeared that the Cyclopean presence was gone, disappeared completely from sight. I stayed frozen still for a long time after, trying to process all I had seen, and when I stood again, it was with the morbid knowledge that I was now alone in the town. I made my way out of the churchyard on unsteady feet. The two hundred winding steps that I had stained with my bloody footprints the night before were broken, torn apart by one of the great fissures. Stone and slab lay strewn asunder, and I had to find a way down them carefully. At the bottom stood one of those huge stone risings that had sprouted up through the cracks. It had a glistening, almost slimy look to it, and I gave it a wide berth as I passed. The streets were a cavalcade of destruction. There wasn't a single building that hadn't been devastated in one way or another. There was silence all around, but for the roll of the waves that had yet to settle as quickly as the wind had. Here and there, I saw the bodies of people that hadn't made it to the beach or out into the ocean. The expression of blind, unsuspecting terror of their last moments forever imprinted on their faces, as if they had died from shock and fear. But the blood that had pooled in the nearby puddles and was slowly ebbing its way through the streets told otherwise. I had never been so overwhelmingly alone before. The closest living person would have been maybe a few miles away. The effect was eerie. I stumbled through the street as if in a dream. Bricks lay in piles on the roads from fallen walls, 
and I had to climb them to get past. The green wooden frame of the baker's window lay in splinters on the floor, with its produce and shattered glass panes spilling out around it. I grabbed some waterlogged bread from the floor and ate greedily. It had been days since I had eaten anything, and as I tried to choke down mouthfuls, a part of me thought that maybe all this horror was just a hallucination, brought on by the powerful combination of my hunger and my condition, that these things that I had witnessed could not have been real, and it would all come back into focus once I had some food in me. Of course, it didn't. All satiety gave me was a more acute awareness of my surroundings. The horror became real. I sat and ate, and tried not to think about everything around me, nor of the prospect of those monsters coming back to make sure the job was finished, nor about that monstrous sea god returning to the sky and finding me. I stayed in that spot for hours. At some point I dozed off once again. This time, the dream sent me down into a vast, black nothingness. Freezing water rushed over me in currents. I fell endlessly, but somehow I did not drown. With each mile, I felt less like myself, less human. Soon I had dissolved to the point where I no longer needed my eyes, and I could see through the gloom of the dark water. Bodies floated all around me, suspended like stars, and unmoving in the quiet stillness of the gelid waters. Further below us, I could distinguish a shape, and a sound. Thunder resonated, fathoms beneath the surface, and the face of a throned god turned and looked upon me, and I could do nothing but fall. I was awoken by the mechanical, spluttering sound of a motor car. I was still outside the baker's, and the half-eaten bread was still clutched in my hand. The would-be rescuers arrived in Wales Arch just before the evening. They'd seen the storm from afar, and were looking to give aid however they could. I was all they found. The sole survivor of a cataclysm. They said it shouldn't have been possible, that no one should have been able to come through such a tempest. I was covered in blankets, laid onto a stretcher, and brought away from Wales Arch. Tears escaped me as I watched the town grow smaller in the rear window. In the days that followed, a newspaper article was written about the storm, with my bleary-eyed and vacant photograph splashed across the front page. For weeks, people marvelled at the story of Wales Arch, the lost town that was wiped from the earth and reclaimed by the sea. A twisted part of me imagined seeing it on the wall in Eliza Jane's memento-filled tea room, a fitting end to its story. The townspeople that had left during my stay returned to find themselves destitute. The damage was absolute, and there wasn't a single shop, shack or house that could be rebuilt. They would all have to move along, start from scratch once again. I thought it only fair. They knew what was happening, and they chose to ignore it. If they were willing to do nothing, and stand by and let my life be destroyed, then I wouldn't offer them anything different. I was taken from the town and made to stay in hospital for a while to help me recover my strength and receive treatment for a case of pneumonia I'd developed. The lack of sleep and food, the night spent freezing out in the abbey, 
and the nearly day-long spell I had spent soaking wet from being in the sea and exposed to the elements had all taken their toll, and I was merely a shade of my former self. They treated my wounds and bruises. The doctors could only theorise as to how some of them had gotten there, for I would not tell them. In fact, I spoke very little, only when spoken to. The doctors were convinced I must have been in some form of shock, but I knew better. Much like I had felt after I woke up on that last night, I was beyond any form of emotion. With all I had seen, there was now nothing that could surprise or worry me. My heart had grown cold, like so much black water. But the dreams didn't stop. Dreams where I lurked far down in the abyss, in hard, unfeeling depths whose enormity was paralysing. Some nights my dream self would rise and look out across the ruined landscape of the dead town, and its misery would make me laugh. On the nights where I would have these dreams, I would wake up sweating, suffocating, wishing I had died under those waves to spare myself the torment of these relentless visions. I never let anyone see these moments. If they did, they would have locked me away for sure. I'd escaped an institution once. There would be no way I could do so a second time. So I let the doctors carry on with their business without fuss until there was no reason for them to keep me there. Though the dreams became less frequent, they didn't end, not even when I returned to London. Not even now. I will never step foot near the sea again. I never want to see the blue of the ocean or hear the roll of a wave, for I know what lurks within its depths, and I know that it sees me. I stay away, and I don't give them a chance to find me like they did before. I don't risk anyone else being taken away or their homes destroyed. The people of Wales Arch called me outsider. Now I am cursed to be an outsider wherever I go. The things that matter to others are trivial to me. For what importance could anything have when I have seen things that are beyond understanding? I have seen creatures split the sky, reach down and pluck a place from the earth and forget it ever existed. I have stepped into kingdoms that weren't meant for us to see. And the one place that I most fear to go may be the one place I belong. Whatever I am now, I cannot go back. So forever, I am the outsider. Forever, I am the storm. I shouldn't be here. The Outsider, Part 5, Let the World Think Me Dead, was written by Andrew Bate and read by Chloe Gorman, with music also by Andrew Bate. The Outsider is a five-part Penny Dreadful novella produced by Moth Sanctuary Productions as part of Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary. Subscribe and download all episodes of the series now, wherever you get your podcasts. For more information on other Moth Sanctuary shows, visit mothsanctuaryproductions.com.